about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, it's a beautiful uh, Tuesday night. The temperature finally dropped below 8 trillion Kelvin. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice night out. We're in the uh, the new digs in the garage and uh, uh, loving life. Not too hot, not too cold. Garrett, how's it mm-hmm. going? Oh, man. It is a beautiful night. So That's welcome, uh, welcome to uh, episode 19. It is... Uh, July 30th, 2019, for episode 19 of How About That Cigar. And uh, we have some very special guests coming up in just a couple minutes here. Uh, we just, uh, we're just we going to talk about some of the goofy stuff we talk about a little bit at the beginning of every show. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, blah, blah, blah. They're, they were 12 games up. Now they're two games up. And that is a little, that's a mix of things. Yeah. One, it is Twins not being as stellar as they were the first half of the season. But I think more than that, is uh, how hot Cleveland has been. Yeah. So, you know, they still have, the Twins still have a fantastic record in baseball. Uh, Still ranked number four, but Cleveland is closing that gap with a great record of their own. Yeah, only thing in our favor is we keep winning division games and they tend to lose division division games. So I guess that's helping us, but, you know, they've got work to do. They're playing right now. Um, against Miami, I think. Yep. Uh, they were up last time I checked. They're uh, up about an hour ago. So, um, so guys, uh, thanks for watching and listening to uh, episode 19 of How About That Cigar. If you would, please like, share, and subscribe. Let people know what we're doing. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Um, and uh, this evening, we are starting with the... Actually, we started earlier with, uh, with a little treat, but now we're going with the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, the special release from Roma Craft and Cigar Dojo, the Lonsdale size that came out uh, two weeks ago or 10 days ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, they sold out pretty quickly, so I hope you got your hands on some because it is a really nice uh, Vitola for this cigar. Um, mm. And we're mm. going mm. to fire these mm. up right now. Mm. Mm. Um, can, I, I just can't even tell you how excited I am for this show. Yeah, me too. Um, so... We're gonna we're gonna bring them in now because I just can't wait anymore. So I was fortunate enough back in the day when I was with Blind Man's Puff, I was fortunate enough to have a chance to meet the filmmakers behind Hand Rolled, a film about cigars. And these guys put together a documentary that I think has really changed the game as far as teaching people about the world of premium cigars and, and giving a, a history lesson and uh, a government expose and sort of a family portrait of the cigar industry. Um, so without further ado, I would like to welcome uh, the directors behind that film, uh, Jesse and Steve. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Doing well, man. How are you guys? Doing great. We're doing great. We really appreciate you guys being on the show with us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have Garrett's eye so I can get this thing Absolutely. going. Absolutely. Get it rocking. <laughs> I can't, uh, you guys, I'm I'm stoked to have you guys on the show. Uh, excited to get into some of the nitty gritty and the questions we have, and I know a lot of other people have about uh, the movie. Um, as you mentioned, you know you get several comments daily when this thing is coming out, and we'll be able to answer all those questions here shortly. So, uh, again, uh, thanks so much uh, for being here, Matt. Did you uh, want to kick it off with uh, a few questions, or? Yeah, I want to dive right in. Um, just as far as, you know, the, the movie that you guys decided to make, um, you know, I was fortunate. I got to see it 
um, you know, the, the premiere at IPCPR in 2018. Um, and, you know, right off the get-go, I love the movie. Um, and so normally we would kind of, you know, dive into sort of the Spider-Man origin story about how you guys got into cigars. But I want to give everybody the sort of the meat of the movie uh, and the story behind the movie itself. I know you guys have been cigar lovers and collectors for a while, and you've been in, in uh, uh, the commercial filmmaking business for for a while. And then um, all of a sudden, here comes this idea for a documentary about premium cigars. And what can you think back to that singular moment when you said to yourselves, okay, we're actually going to do this. What was that one moment where you said, we're actually going to make this documentary about cigars? Well, um, it's a, it's a couple of moments really, but it culminated into uh, this conversation that Jesse and I had. Um, I think it was at the end of 2015, 16, 2016, 16, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, oh, no, 15. Yeah, yeah. I think it was at the end of 2015. Um, you know, a lot of filmmakers get into um, the industry thinking, you know, they're going to tell stories and make movies and get bogged down somewhere along the way, just, um, you know, commercial work or whatever it is that's that's paying. And so that's sort of where we were at at the time. And we realized, you know, we've been doing this for a while. We never actually got a chance to really tell our own stories. So um, we had this conversation. We, we asked ourselves, like, what could we... Um, what could what story could we tell that if it came down to it and we weren't being paid and we weren't um, you know we didn't have a budget like what could we take all the way to fruition uh, from A to Z and tell and tell a, a whole story regardless of how long it takes and you know um, and whether or not it pays and so we decided we could do that about cigars so uh, um, you know we started doing some research and figuring that out and that was kind of the moment where. We were like, hey, nothing out there on any major platform exists on this topic, and it's something that we really love and enjoy, so why not? Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so talk about, you know, sort of your early days in, you know, when you started getting into cigars and realizing this was a really cool hobby to be a part of, cool community to be a part of. Um, walk us through that, that for each of you, that, that first cigar that just really piqued your interest. Do you remember yours? <laughs> yeah, I remember mine. Uh, for me, is I, I remember very clearly I was in college uh, with a buddy of mine. We got a Romeo and Julieta from a local cigar shop. And I thought it was weird that they had a lot of birds in there. <laughs> <laughs> Those birds, I'm certain, are dead now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we grabbed a cigar and uh, we brought it home, forgot to get a cutter. So we stabbed it with a pen and uh, he and I shared a cigar, which I hate admitting publicly, but I, I'll say it anyway. It got about halfway through. We're both like, all right, we've had about enough. And that was it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't forget the cigar and I can't remember. I mean, I, I can't forget the experience because it was, it was cool. It was a fun experience. Uh, I didn't get sick or anything. We just kind of got over it and then started smoking some more after that and got to the point where we started collecting and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and a few months later, Jesse finished his college career a little early, and I uh, came home and uh, he introduced me to I think a Gurkha um, poolside at his uh, apartment complex back in the day, and um, I remember I smoked probably a third of it, 
and immediately started vomiting everywhere. Um, (laughs) It was was my first time and uh, it was a hell of an experience. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not uncommon. A lot of people, I mean, from from every walk of life, a Mm -hmm. lot of people, their first experience with a with a premium hand rolled cigar. Turns Thanks for making me feel better. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, for me, it was my my. Uh, well, I mean, my my dad back when when I was a kid, when it was time for cutting firewood, it was, uh, you know, he had the Dutch Masters and he had the uh, uh, the Grenadiers and that kind of thing. But then Grenadiers, I was fortunate to graduate to uh, uh, definitely nicer uh, nicer offerings after that. That's funny. Um, so, so we all, we know that you guys, obviously you got all the necessary funding throughout the process, which is one of the toughest things when it comes to making a, a a project like this is getting the backing necessary to, to be able to get all the shots that you need and do all the interviews and travel all the places that you have to tell us about, um, give us one example of, of a great triumph that you had when it came to getting backing or, getting to the right spot at the right time or getting the, you know, just the right, um, just the right shot. And, you know, some of those stories, uh, give us, give us one or two of those, uh, you know, examples of when, when things just fell apart a little bit and how you worked your way out of that. Well, raising, raising the money part was something that was strange to us because we'd never had to raise money for a project and certainly not to that amount of money. Um, so that was, difficult pitching it to companies that are so used to print advertising and explaining to some of these guys what Netflix is and what social media is and um, streaming uh, platforms are. So that was, I mean, we were raising money even after we did the premiere in Vegas because there we had bills to pay. Uh, you know, music is not cheap. Uh, editing is not cheap, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that every little time we got a check, Albeit if it was two thousand or or you know bigger amounts, we celebrated every time. So that was we just didn't know what we were doing. Now we know a little bit yeah. better how to ask people for that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest triumph for us uh, and the most unexpected and and can't believe we got that shot is Jose Orlando Padron. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was not even on our radar. We 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 interviewed Jorge, uh, Jorge the night before, and that was it. We didn't we had no expectation to interview. Jose and we didn't even ask to, if we could interview him. So uh, we did the interview the next day with Berta Bravo, which uh, she's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we finished the movie, we're just sitting there cleaning up the gear. And George calls us and says, "Hey, my dad wants to do an interview with you guys." And then, <laughs> as we know, that was his last on-camera interview. He went to the hospital a week later, passed a few months later, unfortunately. Yeah. But that for us was like, man, like you see him in the movie so much because he's got so much to say, and it's it's great yeah. stuff. But uh, I, we can't believe we got that shot. It's still insane that we got that interview. Yeah, and it was a, it was a big honor for us to be able to. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember at the premiere, we were able to actually uh, do a little bit of uh, a tribute to him. Yeah, there at the end, um, and it, it was just a, it was a special experience for us. Yeah, yeah. and a- we got to screen the movie for his family uh, the night after the premiere, or the day after. We got to screen it for their family at their hotel. So yeah. that was really special too. Well, and it was nice too because earlier in the year we were together there at the um, at the Nicaraguan Cigar Festival. Yeah, yeah, and some of the some of the the footage that you guys had was shown at the the tribute 
uh, that one evening uh, when they, they had a tribute for uh, Senor Oliva and f- a tribute for Mr. Padron. And um, it was just a, a great moment um, to see. That, that wasn't actually our interview. Yeah, I don't think that was any of ours. I feel like a jerk now, but, but <laughs> it was still, it was, I mean, it was still a really cool moment. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was, was uh, super touching. What was the, that, that sort of environment like? Because it was cool having, having him and, and his son, you know, in the room at the same time, this storied cigar company uh, mm-hmm. and sort of seeing his, uh, seeing his, his son, sort of translate a little bit and and just that vibe between them it's they have such or had unfortunately had such a cool father-son vibe what was you know just what was that like just that energy in the room with those guys well it was a it was just a surreal experience first of all like uh the night before we when we had just done george's interview um george turned off his phone and turned off all the phones in uh in the office because um they just kept ringing um and it was just not good for the uh it was just not good for the for the for the filming process and um you know his wife was trying to get a hold of him and then uh, his dad was trying to get a hold of him and you know George told us that his dad thought we were terrorists because he thought he, you know, he saw a couple <laughs> a, a few white a few white boys walking around the office um and he didn't know who they were and you know he was just kind of like suspicious yeah and so it was it was interesting <laughs> the next day to have a laugh about that but also like as he's telling like as he's recounting his stories of like their factory literally being bombed and like motioning to, you know, the the building that was bombed and stuff. I mean, it was just, um, it was like, it was a different, I mean, it, it was an experience like no other, I think for us yeah. to, to just be a, like, feel like we were a little part of that history and yeah. watching him tell this story, which, um, which I, I don't know that he's ever told on camera. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, I I can't even compare it to anything in in another um, you know realm of the world. Whether it's you know if if it's a if, if it's a feature you know a, a young up and coming feature filmmaker interviewing Martin Scorsese or something. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible honor just to be in the same room. And I I mean, you just sit and listen to him talk, and you just jaw on the floor like, oh my god, this this is happening. We're actually in the room, you know, getting this guy to tell his story, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, remember we, we also have about an hour and a half of interview with him, and I think like eighteen minutes of his interview made the, the movie something like that. something small like that. So we've got a lot of footage of him. That's awesome. I, I the first time that he came on screen, I literally got goosebumps. You know, uh, just because of his what he is as an icon in this industry. So I can't imagine what it was like for you guys to be filming that. Yeah, awesome. It was it was crazy. I, I mean, in the moment, you're just you're rushing to get there, rushing to set up. Uh, he can't sit in certain chairs because his legs are hurting him and stuff like that. So it's like, go, 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 go. OK, interview now. Then afterwards, you sit back and you're like, man, I can't believe that just happened. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah I was like, what, wait, we're interviewing in rolly chairs. OK, yeah. this is going <laughs> to be interesting for, for audio purposes. But yeah, you can get, you know, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So. You guys know as not only as filmmakers, but also as cigar collectors, you know, as and and we're cigar collectors, too. And everybody who collects cigars sort of has that white whale cigar like, oh, I, I someday I want to smoke this cigar or I want to get a box of these to put in my collection. And at the same time, and, and we know we already talked about um, Mr. Padron, but what, I also want to find out if there besides that, if there were any of those white whale interviews that you had 
in your mind from the very beginning that you're like, we have to interview this person. It's so important that we interview this person for this film and who that person was and what it was like when you, uh, when you finally got that, okay, we're going to be able to get that interview. Uh, Marvin Schenken was the one. Okay. Uh, you, you can't tell the story of the boom without Marvin. Right. And, and you can't really put into perspective what the boom did for the industry without getting him in the movie. And, and he, he turned us down three times uh, over two years. And when we actually sat down to do the interview with him, he didn't even say hi to us. That's the first thing he said is I turned you guys down three times and here you are. He's like, you guys are the biggest pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> he gave us time. He gave us an interview. And uh, we did soften the blow with uh, a tin of pre-embargo Romeo and Julietas though. So, yeah, you know, that over at uh, Puro Trader hooked us up with that. Nice. Him a nice gift. And so he was, I mean, he ended up being great, but, uh, and, and we're very thankful that we have him because now, he's such a big part of the story and, and you can put a face to the, and the other thing is he even told us he had, he's only done five on camera interviews, this being his fifth. Yeah. So he just doesn't do interviews for wine spectator for anything. I mean, he'll conduct the interviews, but he won't be interviewed. Yeah. 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 He, he'd rather be on the other, uh, on the other side of the camera mm-hmm. exactly. and writing the story. What? so do you remember how much, I mean, there, there's definitely some great footage of him in the finished film. How much footage would you say you got with him? With Marvin? Yeah. Probably 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he kept it, uh, he kept it tight on the timeline and, and was like, get these, uh, get these kids out of my office kind of thing. <laughs> more or less. I mean, yeah. I think he gave us a little more than he originally planned to. Um, yeah. So that was nice. But yeah, I mean, we wanted to respect his time as well. You know, it was our first time over at their offices and yeah. But mm-hmm. we, yeah. I think we've got everything we needed uh, with him, yeah. certainly. Oh, yeah. The stuff that was in there was perfect because Cigar Aficionado did play such a uh, just a huge role in in turning the cigar industry into what it was in the in the mid late 90s. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to get him to talk a little more shit, but he was, <laughs> he was, he was a, a lot more careful when the uh, red when the red light was flashing on the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, he's got a lot of relationships he's got to maintain. Yeah. You understand that. We have zero relationships we need to maintain. <laughs> In fact, we have some bridges we've been meaning to burn. <laughs> you just want to talk about those guys now? Yeah, let's do it. Where's that bourbon? I'll turn this over to the white yeah, guy. Let's get the, get the bourbon going. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just let it all out. I'll do it sober. <laughs> um, and I I have to say that when, uh, when I saw the the film premiere at IPCPR last year. I was so excited about when I heard the voice of the narrator because, oh, yeah. you know, as a, uh, as a kid growing up in the, in the seventies and eighties for me, you know, this, this guy had an iconic voice and then seeing him later on in shows like sons of anarchy. And I, I mean, what was the, tell us about the process about how you went about getting Peter Weller to do the narration for this film. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah, Peter was awesome. I mean, we we met him with Pete at the Grand Havana one, one night in um, Beverly Hills. And uh, they were just shooting the shit. And Pete asked him, I think, just right there on the spot, like, hey, would you? Uh, or maybe, maybe he did it over text or something the next day or something. But basically just asked him point blank, like, hey, would you narrate this film? We're doing a film about cigars. Uh, would you narrate it for us? And, yeah. and Peter agreed. 
And so we showed up, uh, we actually did two um, recordings with him for our initial trailer, right? We did it separately. Didn't yeah, we? Yeah. separately. yeah. So we went down to LA twice uh, just, just to record with him. So for our trailer, the first trailer that we did um, in 2017, uh, you know, he gave us about four minutes. He literally just walked into the spare room at the Grand Havana and it was right before he was going up to do a jazz set. Uh, it was like Wednesday nights. He does like a jazz set with his friends or something Yeah. Um, for like three or four hours. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. He's a great performer and like really good jazz musician too. So that was cool to, to watch afterwards. But um, he came in for like four minutes, literally between them going up and doing some practice. And he got, he was actually late because he was on set yeah. for Sons of Anarchy. So we ended up waiting for him like two hours, I think, um, just hanging around. Then he walks in, gives us four uh, four minutes, and literally just reads through the line once, and then just stands up and leaves. <laughs> and it was perfect. I mean, it, <laughs> he nailed it. He nailed it. But that, that was only like four lines. Uh, and then <laughs> the second time around, when we had the narration script finally finished for the, for the whole movie, I think he sat with us for about an hour and something, and yeah. um, and it was great. Like you know, he would read through, and he's like, "What the fuck is this shit?" And then just be like. And just like, I'm changing this, I'm changing this. And he would just like, <laughs> he would change it. Then he was like, I had some statistics in there. He's like, is this shit true? I better, <laughs> I better not be saying this if it's not true. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's true. Relax. <laughs> it's great. So he's, he's a funny character, man. Yeah, well, I, I love him now even more knowing that he's a jazz musician. I mean, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was, uh, he, was, he was changing your lines on you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, like he was correcting my grammar, which, you know, oops. Well, well. I mean, he's a professional. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This a few you times. know, he's a professor at UCLA, right? No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, he's like teaches history at UCLA. Oh. Italian history, no? Yeah, yeah, I think Italian yeah. history. Yeah, so. You got to stop giving me reasons. Yeah, he was grading my shit on the spot. He had his red pen and everything. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I've been loving him recently watching Longmire. I don't know if you guys have uh, seen Longmire, but uh, he is outstanding in that. Yeah, the overall, the overall feel of the film is one of the things that I appreciate the most. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a documentary nerd in the first place. It mm-hmm. honestly doesn't matter what the subject is. I'm just, uh, I'm a history buff, and and I love learning about the way that things happened. The the way you guys, because I I've seen you know some of the some of the films that were made in the '90s, um, you know about the cigar industry and some of the films back then were, were actually made by companies sort of as promotional materials, things like that. And they were okay, but this, this film really hit all the three major areas, which is it hit the history. It hit the, uh, the governmental impact and it hit the family piece of the cigar culture. Mm -hmm. And I think those were the three most important pieces to, to hit. And this landed on all three. Definitely. Yeah, I loved the, you know, the origin and how you guys really um, doubled down on on the Cuba history. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that process looked like for you guys when you were building out this documentary? And, you know, where do you even start with uh, a documentary like that? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> that was that was rough because we we didn't know exactly until we did a lot of the interviews, which direction everything was going. And we just, um, we didn't like, we felt initially that just going the Cuba route could, could be very cheesy, like, you know, like almost PBS ish type documentary, but um, inevitably in telling the stories, like, I mean, you realize 
that once you start interviewing family after family, like a lot of the origin stories just just simply go back to that. I mean, obviously that seems very obvious, but you know, being that all these manufacturers and stuff are in Nicaragua, are in the Dominican, whatever, you know, we wanted to really kind of tell uh, those stories as well. But um, you know, then then going and reading through why a lot of these families are there. And, you know, like doing the, the prep before each interview that we shot, you know, we, we did hours and hours of prep work. Um, you know, you, you kind of just realize that you can't really tell the story without it. Um, and then, you know, like Pete, you know, Pete had a, a, a good, a good kind of point there um, in the interview that we shot with him early on that there's a lot of hype behind that. And just, there's a, like, there's a dishonesty um, in, in, in the, in the industry about like how great they are and like the hype that's built around them. And we, we just felt like, um, you know, we just ask people these questions and basically just throw up what everybody said. Yeah, I agree. hundred yep. percent. Um, and the, the, the history behind it, whether it was the, the time you guys spent in Cuba, the time you guys spent in Nicaragua, Dominican, um, the, the, the roots always go back to, Cuba. And I love how you, you definitely spent a lot of time talking about that, about how all the turmoil and the revolution pulled people out of Cuba um, by necessity to uh, find themselves in Miami, Nicaragua, Dominican, Honduras, wherever it was. Um, what was the most uh, surprising story that you guys heard from, from one of these patriarchs of the, of the cigar community as far as their their story of how they had to escape Cuba? That's a good question. I mean, there's a few guys that wouldn't even talk about Cuba. They said don't even mention Cuba in the interview. Wow, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but Peter, one. I wasn't going to say a name, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, that means it's still. It's so, just, uh, you know, people still have tides in Cuba and they just couldn't talk. They don't even mention Cuba at all. Um, but I don't remember who told, if anybody told us anything crazy. About well, I mean, there was, I, I think the, the Padron story with Cuba was probably the one that kind of tied everything together more. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, you know, him having met Castro and um, being able to shed light both on the history, both on the political side, um, of that issue, I think he kind of just weaved the whole story together. But then, you know, too, you had, uh, you know, you had, you had the Placentias and, and, and uh, uh, Oliva and Kisa, yeah, and, and Manolo, who also, yeah. I mean, like, th- this is, this is basically why we, you know, why we started the movie on this route, because it just made, it made sense to frame it within that context, because mm-hmm. everybody had some drawback to that story. Yeah. And, well, and we didn't know to what degree until we took it in the editing room and literally transcribed like all of these interviews. Uh, we didn't know to what degree these stories were interconnected. And it was just actually really interesting on the editing room floor to see it all come together that way. Yeah. What was, uh, what was the biggest hurdle for you, if there were any, when you guys were on the ground in Cuba? Uh, because obviously it's a different sort of a dynamic there as far as dealing with uh customs dealing with uh you know the government there and you guys had a bunch of equipment you had to bring with you and things like that that so talk a little bit about how the the turmoil that you guys had to go through just just filming in cuba alone we did like a three-week uh travel it was more than that i think it was like 
We started with the Dominican uh, yep. and uh, the festival out there, then to Miami, to D.C., then to Cuba. So we're traveling with 14 bags of gear everywhere we go. Uh, and to get into Cuba, we went under visitor visas through Mexico. So we, the cheapest way for us to do that, uh, to leave our gear there, was to get a hotel room, put the Do Not Disturb sign on it, and start praying, hope that you know 100 <laughs> grand gear doesn't get stolen. And we took small cameras with each of us. Each of us had a, a one backpack with a camera in each of it, uh, a small tripod, and only one light versus the five lights we were using everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, one battery-powered light. So, uh, And we got in. You know, customs was kind of crazy. Took forever to get our bags. But otherwise, got in, got the interviews, and then got out safely. I mean, everything on ground was great. We just were handicapped by the limitation of not having all of our gear, everything that we were used to having. And how long were you in country in Cuba? Five days. Five days. And did you ever have during that time, I mean, aside from, you know, just shuffling your way through customs in and out, did you, were there any times that you got stopped or, or questioned or anything like that? I think we got stopped in the car one time, if I'm not mistaken, but it was just, I think they just checked our IDs and then yeah, we went on. Was it was, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. But then again, like, you know, we were, the our liaison there was really good um and he you know he told us like look guys don't don't bring a bunch of shit with you uh if if you have a bunch of gear you're gonna turn heads and you know they're they're gonna start asking way too many questions and you know you don't you guys don't want to get in trouble and you know the the rabinas are nice enough to host you guys and to give you these interviews don't get them in trouble you know so yeah it was like you know it was a a bit of we were forewarned basically. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, we, like Jesse said, we just, we just locked our shit up in a, in a hotel room in Cancun, um, put that do not disturb sign. And, you know, each of us had a backpack, Jesse, Serge and myself, and we just looked like three, you know, tourists. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, the cameras that we had were just like, I mean, you know, no, no bigger than this iPhone. So just small little, you know, consumer grade cameras and, uh, again, nothing special. And they were yeah. all of our gear was distributed in all three of the backpacks that we had, you know, with I don't even think we had enough clothes like for the five days. We just did laundry while we were there. And like we really, really wanted to keep it low key and respect the fact that, you know, the, the Robinas were taking some risk to to host us and to agree to these interviews. So, yeah. What about um, how much time did you guys spend in D.C. talking to lawmakers and, and things like that? That was a short trip. I think we were there three days. Yeah, I think three days total. I think not even three full days. Yeah, Glenn Loop and, and the, the guys over at the CRA were great in getting those interviews ready for us. So, yeah. I mean, they literally just took us from spot to spot. We shot the interview and moved on. Uh, we we had no time. So, yeah, yeah it was back, you know, back to back. Glenn was awesome and just yeah. lined those up for us and. Did you guys have any surprises from some of the uh, some of the people? And you don't have to mention names, but any surprises that you talked uh, as far as the people that you you dealt with in D.C. You know, some of the lawmakers, maybe some of the big names, uh, people who maybe shared some things with you that that uh, you were a little surprised by. It's in the movie. I mean, the the um, I'm blanking on his name. We had the stack of uh, yeah, the laws, the, Jim. Something, other. something yeah i keep thinking of jim hopper but that's stranger things i mean Sorry. He, he yeah <laughs> no spoilers that was the most surprising thing i think everything else was pretty 
they're politicians, right? So yeah, uh, they had great stuff for the movie, but the, the fact that uh, the one gentleman uh, was storing all the new laws that were ma- being passed without people knowing about them, that was crazy to see how big those stacks were. Yeah, the regulations that were that were yeah. basically handed out every morning. I, I, that was just a great visual, you know. Like you, you hear, you read about that and you hear about it, but you know, just to actually see it um, stacked there, I think really just drove the point home yeah. uh, of the fact that you know Congress isn't just making these laws, you know, it's, it's literally the FDA, mm-hmm. for example, in, in, in this industry, that is, that, that is, that is literally writing these laws and they are unelected officials, you know, uh, dictating how we live our lives. Um, yeah. And I, I hope that that was that, you know, uh, we drove that point home that that's, that's a really problematic thing to yeah. be, you know, to have that dictated to you by people that, that are not accountable um, to voters at all in any way. And remind me of the number. Uh, was is it out of all smokable tobacco products in the United States? Is isn't premium cigars point zero nine percent or something like that? It's something tiny. Point zero two is what I remember. Some, that's some the number that stuck in my head. Yeah, and, I, and they're trying to lump it all together. You know, yeah. the word tobacco. They put it all together in this neat little package, and they just throw it out there, and you know, expect everybody just to. Uh, you know, fall in line, basically. Yeah. What is your hope for this movie being used as a political tool? I mean, you know, the lawmakers and the, and the, and the people at the CRA, um, you know, they're fighting the legal battle. And I think that's really important. Our battle is more, you know, the hearts and minds. Um, we're just hoping that people watch the film and just literally never associate cigars with cigarettes again. I mean, they're, they're, they're such different things. Um, just because the one of the root ingredients uh, happens to be the same, and it's really not even the same. You know, it's not the same tobacco either. But you know, it's the same word. That, you know, we we really hope that people watch this and think, you know, this is not at all the same thing. Right. It doesn't have the addictive qualities. It doesn't have the you know uh, the health uh, problems to the degree that cigarettes do. Um, in fact, you know, the health problems are largely unknown. And so we just really hope that on on every level, people just disassociate cigarettes and and cigars. Yeah. One of my favorite things uh, along that line in the movie is where Carlito says, you know, you've got a you've got a chimpanzee and a dolphin. They're both mammals. But, uh, you know, to 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 even attempt to equate them as the same thing, it's it's just a, a great analogy that, you know, the layperson who doesn't know the first thing about premium cigars, who doesn't use any type of tobacco tobacco products and we all have those people in our lives who of course yeah you, you say you say cigars and they sort of they sort of wince and they go oh you mm. you use tobacco products and and to to try to explain to them you know in in a few seconds how yes i i smoke premium cigars but it's you know it's it's completely different it's not i'm not a bad person kind of thing yeah. you know it's yeah you get that point across to the lay person and certain family members it's tough sometimes and uh, let's talk about for a second all the platforms that um, you're currently um, going to be releasing this film on, and um, yeah. some release dates. They are uh, it's well, it's on it's live on iTunes now. Yep. Uh, every, it was supposed to come out about August fifteenth on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon. iTunes released about three weeks early, so you can get it there now. And uh, we will be announcing as soon as Amazon and Google Play release it, but it should be no later than mid August. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. The cool. second it goes live, we'll post about it and make sure people know. 
I got an email from Amazon yesterday that said two to three business days. So, yeah, be soon. We could, we could get lucky on that front and get it early there too. Yeah. yeah. And awesome. just to remind uh, uh, viewers and listeners that we will be giving away a copy of the film if yeah. you have not seen it yeah. you know, or if you've seen it. Actually, I don't think it's a reminder. We haven't even divulged that yet. We haven't. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but that's, that's, yeah, we're, we're, uh, uh, we're, how about that cigar? We're going to give away a copy. So anybody who leaves a comment on the video, uh, we're going to we're going to choose one at random uh, and uh, gift a copy of uh, hand rolled to one lucky viewer. That's awesome. So um, I want to talk just briefly about because, you know, you guys are you're not one dimensional. Nobody's one dimensional. You're into stuff other than cigars. And um, just on on. The other side of things, your you know your your filmmaking side. I know you guys are probably still working in the commercial filmmaking industry, but are there any other passions or hobbies besides you know you you made this great documentary documentary about premium cigars? Are there any other passions or hobbies that you can think of that you would ever put the time and the effort and the passion into turning into a feature length documentary like you did with Handrolled? Well, I'm really into CrossFit, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say it would be CrossFit yes. or hot yoga yeah. or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I have any hobbies that I put this much effort into. <laughs> Four years of our lives into filming. Yeah. I mean, I fly fish. We both fly fish, but I wouldn't make a movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about some of the. Uh, um, so, out of all the interviews you had, I mean, you guys had, you know. Uh, Major Pete's players. Was the best. Pete's players. The best. <laughs> Pete was definitely the best. Pete was definitely the best. But of all the, I mean, you you had serious heavy hitters in the cigar industry. But you also had, you know, people from people from online media. You had uh, some people from Instagram and some cigar media people and things like that. Um, what was out, out of all the people that you interviewed? What was the the person that during the interview and afterwards you were you were saying to yourself, man? I was not expecting this at all. This person was either, you know, uh, just one of the most down to earth, you know, I could consider this person being maybe a, maybe a friend for life or what was one of the biggest surprises of all the interviews that you guys conducted? Well, I would say, I would say, I mean, I made a joke earlier, but, but literally, I mean, Pete has become a friend for life as far as I'm concerned. Um, but aside from the obvious, uh, I, you know, we were, we were the Dominican, and, um, I mean, that was just a crazy trip. We shot uh, a bunch of interviews over the course of like a week. Um, I think we probably got five cumulative hours of sleep, cumulative hours of sleep. And, um, you know, we were late to film with Hochi Blanco, um, uh, one day. And I think he was like, he had a cold or a hangover, you know, whichever. Um, and he was like kind of pissed when we got there because we were like an hour late. Gomez? No, no, Hochi. Remember oh, we, we got there like yeah, we yeah. got there like an hour yeah, late because yeah, yeah. like I don't know, yep, uh, different time zones or something. I don't know what, whatever it was, but uh, yeah, he was kind of pissed, and then it all kind of turned around. Like once once we were in the interview, he was all lit up, um, and uh, and everything. And I mean, he he ended up giving us you know an additional like twenty thirty minutes longer than he anticipated because we were late, and you know it just it went really well. And then he also like just didn't give a shit like any question that we asked like he would not tiptoe around anything yeah. like we 
we had to just like for the sake of, you know, like other people in the industry, like not, you know, just like not divulge even like the most, like the, the harshest things that he had to say about, I'm not talking about within the industry. I'm talking about like outside of the industry, like the big tobacco companies and stuff, you know, oh, yeah. stuff yeah. that he had said. And he was just like, I don't give a shit. I'll just say whatever. Um, but I think that was a surprising interview. It just, yeah. it, it went a lot better than I had anticipated, especially when we showed up and he was a little pissed. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lito just, we only, ha- Lito, we got kind of last minute um, and he only wanted to give us 20 minutes, but he ended up giving us like 45. Um, with Hochi, we were actually, we were actually late and it was our, it was actually our fault. Um we were like across town somewhere and stuck in traffic and yeah. And uh, we had miscommunicated. And probably one of my favorite lines in the movie is uh handle. You like to handle the tobacco like a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Caress it a lot. Yeah. Caress it. You caress it. And what happens when you caress it? It gets <laughs> better. <that>. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, where did you, I, there's a lot of really great uh, aerial, uh, and, and drone footage. Where did you guys get most of your, your good quality drone footage from? Well, we shot drone footage everywhere except for Cuba. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were told don't bring a drone into Cuba because the penalty is worse than trying to sneak drugs into the country. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so we, we were able to find someone that got a drone into Cuba. And we were able to license footage for him for that. But I mean, we shot Nicaragua and in uh, Connecticut, and and we definitely didn't import drones into Nicaragua, though. No, definitely not, because I know know from personal experience, you're not allowed to bring drones. No, definitely not four times. So you definitely (laughs) all the all the drone footage in the film is from. (laughs) No, they're not. But yeah, no, Connecticut, we shot a lot uh, of great footage that made the movie. Uh, yeah. Nicaragua, not so much because the drones just didn't agree with the volcanic ground. Okay. Uh, it's just we, weird. we have, we have so, footage from yeah. Nicaragua, but yeah, that was weird. There was some times like we would try to launch the drone. It would just like do crazy things and yeah. people blamed it on the soil. I don't know what the hell it was, but it was, it was definitely yeah. strange. Um, so one of the things we do here. Um, on this show every week is uh, we do some useless facts of the day. And it's just because my whole life I'll, uh, I'll spout off some, some random nonsense and either my wife or somebody in my life says, why do you know that? There's no reason anybody in the world should ever know that information you have in your head. It's completely useless. Um, And I try to always tie it in with kind of what we're talking about. So you've got the movie hand rolled so I'm going to have one useless fact about the word hand and one useless fact about the word roll. And one of the things you think about when you think of rolls is sushi. Mm. So it turns. So where does where does sushi come from? Japan. Japan, right? Well, it turns out that's not true. Sushi originated actually earlier, back way back in the day, in southern Asia along the uh, the Mekong River down in areas like Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. And uh, so that's actually where uh, um, where sushi came from. And it comes from a super, a super old, ancient word called narazushi, which is fermented fish wrapped around sour rice. Um, so yeah, not Japanese. It migrated to Japan about 500 years later. Huh. 
So and they made it better, just like everything else. They made That's it better, right. just like everything else. Um, and then, so you've got all these uh, all these useless facts about uh, uh, the terminology around the word hand. So you got first hand and second hand that started in the mid 15th century from the notion of something being passed from one hand to another. You've got at hand, out of hand, on the one hand, on the other hand, hand to hand, hand to mouth, and hand in hand. We do a we do a segment on the show every week called Numero de los Muertos. So uh, Garrett, take it away. All right, the number this week is two hundred and thirty-five. So the number this week two hundred thirty-five. So two hundred thirty-five people die from this. What every month, every year? No, this is a total. Uh, this is a total count of people that are dead. <laughs> I think more people have died in history than 235. A little bit. But our number is 235, and it is um, a very specific area. 235 people in a specific area have mm-hmm. died from this? Uh, died here. Died here. Died here? Yeah. Died- no. You gotta and, give me. You gotta give me more than that. I well, got nothing to go off of. Where they died is where they will remain probably forever. Oh, Mount Everest. Yes, sir. Oh, oh nice. Fucking oh, nerd. Hey, yeah. Steve coming out with Mount Everest, just hitting it right out of the gate. Yeah, he did. So two hundred thirty-five. That's. That's, I'm actually surprised the number's not higher. There's only 235 people that have died climbing Mount Everest? Well, no. So there are 235 people that have died on Mount Everest in a place where they it is um, very difficult to uh, reclaim the body. So they, are, they have died there, and they will remain there. Wow. Yeah, there's pictures. I think I saw on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. The body still. And uh, they use many of these bodies as uh, as landmarks. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Take a left at the orange jacket on the ground. Yep. <laughs> Have your shirt up. Go past the guy in the blue shirt. Uh, <laughs> I'm never doing this. I didn't put the bodies there, bro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never doing this segment on the show again. I'm completely. Uh, you killed it for me. No, it's still good. I see what you did there. You killed it. Yeah, thank, uh, you. thank you. Thank yeah. you. See, this guy doesn't get my puns. This guy. Yeah, that's true. I'm a little slow on the dad jokes. So, um, uh, I want to just thank you guys for uh, for being on the show with us, um, Jesse and Steve. Uh, we know that it's already out on iTunes. Um, it's going to be out soon on Amazon and Google. Uh, let everybody out there know, uh, besides going and buying the movie on those venues, um, where they can learn more about the film. Absolutely, man. Facebook and Instagram is the best place to go. Uh, we answer every message that we get, no matter how dumb it is. And, <laughs> and uh, But no, we love talking to people. So uh, we get emails and messages. I, I want to know your opinion on the movie. Um, it's hilarious because people will start their message message with, I know you don't need to hear my opinion. Yeah, I do want to hear it. We worked almost four years on this movie. I want to hear what you think about it. Yeah. So uh, we love talking to people there. We always post 
when we have updates on anything at all, which we'll post as soon as it goes live on Amazon and Google Play. And, um, and our website, handworldmovie.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, and, you know, we keep you updated that way as well. Yeah. yeah nice. We'll be sure to leave the links to yeah. both our website, Instagram, and uh, Facebook page for everybody to find easily. We want to thank you guys for being on our show. I want to remind everybody who's watching, and if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast, um, we are going to uh, leave it uh, open for, uh, we'll say, 10 days. We're going to leave it open from today for 10 days. Uh, anybody who leaves a comment on the original uh, Facebook post that has this uh, this video link in it, anybody who leaves a comment is going to be entered to get gifted a copy from iTunes of Handrolled uh, and... All you have to do is have a valid Apple ID and we'll select a winner at random and uh, shoot your Apple ID to me and I will gift a copy of that movie to you. Definitely but, don't don't go out there and buy the movie. Wait for 10 days and see yeah. if you get it free. <laughs> <laughs> buy, it, buy it first and then I'll... And then need a voucher for something else. And then get a voucher for... Frozen 2. Or... I hear the new little bow out. No, no, not Frozen 2. Oh, God, no, not Frozen 2. Um, so, guys, we want to thank you very much for being on the broadcast with us and talking to all our viewers and listeners about the film. Thank you yeah. for all the work you put in over the years, honestly, making uh, making this film. I know it was a passion project. And everybody who is, um, you know, even cares a little bit about the premium cigar industry should, uh, if they haven't uh, bought the film already, they definitely should and and watch it because it's, it's it's kind of a love story about uh, this this great uh, industry that we love so much. And thanks for putting in all the work. We appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Oh, right. can I say one more thing? Yeah, please. Please. Do. If you guys buy the movie, we would really appreciate you guys rating it as well. Five stars only, though. <laughs> five stars five only. only. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're on IMDb, then ten stars. Definitely not five stars on IMDb. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Um, Thank you. Please uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, And until we see you next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Take care, guys.